Hello and welcome to the Trucking Driver Podcast. I'm Dougie Rankin and today for the first time I'm joined by no less than five guests. We are here at an event with Scania and Milton Keynes where we've been getting a demonstration of the forthcoming and much anticipated super range. Uh, I'm joined by three members of staff from Scania. Uh, along with Bob Beach, freelance journalist and driver, and Matthew Eisenegger from commercial vehicle publishing media. Uh, close enough. I mean, introduce yourself from Scania, guys. First of all, we've got um, Adam Pointer, product manager. That's correct. So, what is it you do at Scania? Um, I sit in the pre-sales engineering team uh, with Phil. And I kind of act as a bridge between pre-sales technical and the marketing department. Make sure our uh, good features get out there into the world. Because ah, you were demonstrating, as uh, we had a, uh, a presentation as earlier on, where you're running through all the updates of the super range. And we're going to find out now just how much of that you know off the top of your head. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> right, go, Jared. Uh, so, hi, Dougie. Yeah, uh, demonstration and logistics for Scania. So, uh, help the avenues, go sort of do the practical part of the demonstrator sense if you guys want vehicles, we'll try and facilitate those for you. Uh, also, work for the events team, hence doing the truck fests, the truck shows, convoy in the park, that kind of thing. So, that's my role, as well as a bit of driver training. So, jack of all trades, Dougie, to be honest. Yeah, you get to do a lot of the fun stuff, don't you? Yeah, it's, uh, feel very <laughs> lucky to be in Scania. I feel very lucky since I've been here. And it's been a good transition because I work at a dealer, so it's been a really good transition. And yeah, feel very, very lucky to be here. And uh, last, certainly not least, we've got Phil Rutham. Yeah, I look after the pre-sales technical function at Scania Milton Keynes. So I look after what type of products we're going to bring to market, when we're going to bring them to market, um, what particular features we need for our market, and how we're going to introduce them in the right way. Ah, good stuff, good stuff. I mean, this this event today, the Scania Super, is that's the first time as it's been out and about in the UK. Is that correct? It's the first time they've had anybody doing demo drives on them thus far in terms of the press. These are our first pre-production vehicles, mm. and these are the first ones that we've got registered. So aside from a, a few little local drives and bits and pieces that we've done internally, these are the first opportunities to drive right-hand drive UK spec vehicles on UK roads. Ideal. That's good. I mean, in terms of Scania stuff, I mean, going back a few years, I hardly did anything with Scania. And there's a really kind of made, made quite a lot of changes in the last couple of years to get uh, trucks um, trucks uh, out there, you know, and get us out driving them and testing them, which is a, which is a great, it's a really um, good thing from our point of view, from being journalists and being able to uh, get out and... Uh, Test them because I had the 530 this year and also the 540 I've just had off you as well. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this uh, this 560 that's coming out. Well, we've had the, the chat, haven't we? And mm-hmm. hopefully, we can get you in the 560 at some point and you can work it and uh, get out there and do a day's work and see where we go with it. Hopefully, you'll be impressed. I mean, what was your thoughts on it today? Just out of curiosity. I didn't drive that one. You'll have to ask Bob oh, about that. Oh, <laughs> I was no, driving. I didn't drive the five sixty. I drove the four sixty. So it's you know. So that's to Matt. Oh, did you, know, Matt. Did, did yeah, you drive that? Yeah, <laughs> somebody did. No, I did. Yeah, it's good. You know the um, without sort of going down the age of sort of journalistic adages and stuff like that. It is a good piece of kit. You know the power delivery is great. The, uh, 
transmission's excellent. You know, you, it's only when you drive a scanner, you know, you, there is a sort of a peel around the brand that we spoke about earlier today. And it's only when you, you, you're in the vehicle, you know, you actually get what it's all about. No, it's a good piece, good, good piece of equipment. Piece of equipment. So you used the 460 then, Dougie? Okay? I was a compression yeah. release brake. What did you think of that? No, it was really, it was, uh, it was really good. That obviously, this is a new development for Scania. This uh, because previously you had the, the the sort of standard sort of Scania was the engine brake. Just it this wasn't very engine, engine brake, basically, but of low valve and that. And it, it it was all right, but it was something that Scania would probably be missing for a while. It brings you kind of into the kind of park now with eight wheel tippers and that where before retard was either too expensive or a little bit heavy or whatever and it's it's bringing you in line with a number of your sort of main competitors and it seems to be very well very well integrated and the power uh, the braking power is nicely sort of progressive yeah it's a kind of good forward step now i found that the compression noise break i've always found where the retard doesn't scan is even though they're brilliant at what they do you've got to be quite respectful of them because they're so powerful you know if I'm in the wet and I'm not loaded or anything you're only using like stage one or two for fear that the thing's going to you know uh, it's so powerful it's going to perhaps lock you up but a lot of confidence with, with that that I could really get the most out of it a lot of the times at roundabouts I was able to bring the thing to a complete halt without touching the brake at all um, which is it's a, it's a leap forward for Scania that and it'll save weight as well won't it yeah, definitely, and uh, it's it's encouraging people to use it effectively as well. As you say, the retard, I mean, my experience with retard goes back to one, four, three days where they were quite an exotic and very expensive option. And they were a little bit too fierce at times, and they got more progressive and been able to use the automated function on foot brake, and that is, uh, is quite a good way of mod uh, modulating the power. But uh, I think you will probably see far greater take up the compression brake across the board rather than retarders. It'll only be for heavy work or exceptional long distance work where people will probably go for the belt and braces of both. Mm. Because what you've always got to bear in mind about a high power truck, it's great at going uphill quickly, but if you can't maintain decent speed down the other side, you're missing the point a little. Mm. And on long distance journeys, it's your average speed that gets you there. Mm. Mm. And again, changes in the retarder as well over the last little while. The Compression release brake valve gives us a, a step in between, but the retard has gone up to 4,700 newton meters and now it's disengageable. So it's more fuel efficient as it stands than it ever was before in those early days. And as you say, about brake blending features, sure. using the downhill brake control to modulate the power into the retarder can prevent some of those lockup issues if you're using it manually. Mm -hmm. And you're also in a situation with a retarder it's like a compression brake. It's where it's, it's where through where free braking use it. And one of the problems we have in a lot of big fleet use is that people are still reluctant to use engine brakes effectively or retarders. You still see too much use of foot brakes. Do you think that comes down to driver training, Bob? Do you think there's a lack of that? I think some driver training, particularly where it's been non-manufacturer driver training, has almost treated the use of engine brakes and that because they misunderstand the concept how a compression ignition engine brake works and they think that engine revs uh, equal increased fuel use and they don't seem to understand that when the engine's on the overrun it's not injecting fuel. I've had this forceful discussion with a few people sometimes and if you're just reading the, just reading the telemetry of engine revs 
is not tell you the full story. Yeah. And it, it's again, the technology's there. I, I just said to the guy I was out with, the most neglected piece of technology in the motor industry is the handbook. All the answers are in there, but most people never read it on TV. You know? That's providing the operator don't take him out before the driver exactly. gets to it. Let those that not have that, but it's all there realistically, and, and, and then being able to apply that to the daily use, the daily application, is what then you're making full benefit of the technology. And there's little point in truck manufacturers developing technology if it's not being used properly by the end user. So it's down to education and where it, we go. It from is. And does that come from the manufacturer? Would you see us doing bigger handovers or? I, I, think, I think. I mean, we we all live in the real world where everything. It starts out with good intentions, doesn't it? And late deliveries and vehicles, people wanted to go and this, that, and the other. But yeah, it, it is. And we've got conflicting, conflicting use of aftermarket telemetry systems that aren't as sensitive and as provide as much information as truck manufacturers, yeah. which is then able to tell the difference between engine braking revs and over revs when the vehicle's under power. And sometimes that information is looked at in isolation, and it gives a false figure and a false. Um, a false kind of idea of how someone is driving. The real essence to secondary braking systems goes back more than a generation when truck brakes were far less efficient. When you were driving heavy vehicles, particularly in the Peak District or elsewhere, you had to be able to get that vehicle down the hill without using the brakes because otherwise you wouldn't have any brakes when you got to the bottom of the hill. Yeah. And, and all it is is an extension of that philosophy in using the technology effectively. And, and I think it's something that across the board, sometimes telemetry systems, I mean even Scania's telemetry system, if you use the automatic function on the, on the retarder and only using the first movement of the brake pedal, that reads that as braking. And you, you raise your driver's score by using the manual control, but sometimes the manual control can be a little bit aggressive if you, particularly you're lightly laden and you bring it in more than one or two stages. So there's a, I think there's a little bit more definition that needs to be sort of done there, isn't it really? And the beauty of the automatic function that you have and other retarded manufacturers have, you come over the top of the hill, you don't want to be maybe driving on cruise control or whatever, but kiss them, just touch the brake pedal, and that sets you downhill speed, doesn't it? And then if you come into a bend or into a sharp bend, you can use the manual control to bring the speed down, and then let it go again as much as you come back on the straight again. Particularly when you get in the Alps or the Pyrenees or something, or even, as they say, some of the more hilly areas of Britain. You're using it that, that bit more effectively. You're driving the truck with a secondary braking system almost as effectively as you are using the engine and the gears when you're going up there, aren't you? I think it's encouraging those good driving habits, isn't it? It's, oh, it's encouraging that defensive drive, that gentle defensive driving where you have that transition between acceleration and then into coasting, into retarding, so that you, you maximise the efficiency of the vehicle. To pick up on the point about the driver's handbook, uh, there's an app you can download now, and you can bang the chassis number in, and that will download the the specific driver handbook for your vehicle. So if you're if you're to pick up on your point, Matt, if your operator is taking the handbook out of the mm. cab and storing it away somewhere, they can store one on mobile device if it suits you better. Open the driver's mm. door and look at the chassis plate and take the chassis mm. and take the number. Last seven digits. Exactly. Yeah, last seven digits. Last seven well, digits. I mean, I was reading, I was sent uh, through a preview, uh, it was an autobiography of uh, a veteran truck driver, and he was talking about modern trucks and how there was like, you know, the driver was increasingly less involved because there was more automation in the truck. 
and I was like, well, that's not necessarily the case. You're maybe not doing as much physical stuff where you're like pumping clutch pedals and shifting gears yourself. But if you look at all the electronic interfaces in the truck and the, the things that you can do to influence the, the technology and get the best of it, there actually is a lot for a driver to be doing in a modern truck across being able to work the predictive cruise control properly, all those little tricks uh, to, to um, provoke, you know, um, eco-roll to, to get the best of the engine brake. There, there's a lot going on there that people need to pick, it, pick up on. And I think you'll get certain drivers who, if you've got an interest in it, you will seek to find out the best way to drive things. But then again, there's a lot of guys who are alarmingly not. Last Friday, I spent a morning with a guy uh, I got in the truck and he'd switched the EBS off on it. The light was on in the dash. So I got in and I was talking to him. I said, these have got good engine brakes. Don't use them. And I was talking about adaptive cruise control. Don't use that either. It doesn't use anything. He just, we just want to get there and get the job done and everything like that. We don't care about fuel economy and everything. And I'm like, just, just flat out sort of all day. And I was like, what a weird, what a strange work ethic. But that goes right across so much of... Transport. I was just going to say, you know, we've got this, all manufacturers, regardless of who you're representing, have got this very, very sort of robust driver trainer handover procedure. And what must be most disheartening, either for the manufacturer or the handover specialist, whatever, is when you deliver that new vehicle to the yard and you're there with the keys waiting to meet the driver and the, you know, the traffic manager says, oh, just stick it over there, mate, he's a good lad. And you just don't get a chance to dem- demonstrate yeah. what this vehicle's about, you know. And you, you know, you guys have spent billions of crown across other development of these vehicles and over the history, you know, previous years and what have you. And just to not to be able to demonstrate the technology to its full mm. is, 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 is a crying shame. It, and I know it happens. We know it happens. If, if you go back and you go back another 30, 40 years or whatever, and progressively it's changed. Commercial vehicles, driving trucks in the past. It was all about big physical inputs of moving levers and pushing pedals and what have you. And it was about timing and synchronisation and getting it right. And you needed a good sense of anticipation. And ironically, trucks with a fraction of the power we have now, to get the best out of them, it needed good anticipation and be able to look ahead to maintain progress because it took so much effort to get the thing moving again. And you... Now, modern trucks are all about gentle inputs and button pushing, but there's an element of subtlety to it. And I think some people, they approach a modern truck and they, they, they want to grip hold of it with the scruff of the neck, and it doesn't work. You're better off to take a bit more of the time, set the mirrors up, get the seat right, familiarise yourself with it, and relax. Because the more relaxed you are, the, more, the better you are able to make use of the available technology and explore the kind of the limits and, you know, the different facilities and that that are there in front of you. But it's still the same thing. It's about coordination. And what I, I struggle with with some people. If you go back and we all get, like, you know, people that get carried away on social media talking about twin splitters and 13 speedball and road rangers, and they needed, they, they needed timing, they needed practice or whatever. But if you had a, a pride or an element of wanting to get better, you would think, I'm going to master this, I'm going to get better at it. But people, they come up against modern technology, and if it doesn't work the way they think it should work straight away, they just get really negative about it. But it should be the same process. You should think, it's like with some some earlier generation automated gearboxes, and people aren't using manoeuvring modes and whatever. Do they really think it's designed to be that bad? Or do they ever think to themselves, 
I'm not using this properly. It's like with a tag axle or a pusher axle. You're manoeuvring in a confined space. Dump the weight off it. That helps your clutch control, doesn't it? Because there's less drag. I mean, how many people drive a scanner and don't know there's manoeuvring mode in reverse and forward gear? It's quite a few, actually. Yeah. But don't you think the reality is, as drivers, we all think we're the best. Oh, we don't want to be told. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It is what it is. I mean, we just had a little competition today at Scania about the driver support modes and uh, the scores. And you only got 66, Bob. I know. And here you shocking. are, preaching. Shocking, isn't it? Shocking. But we had a good chat about what, you know, we should be doing next day and next week and everything else, what have you. Who won it, Dougie? Do you want to no, that would have been me. Oh, right. So, yeah, so yeah. the prize is going to Scotland again yeah. this year, yeah. Mm, again, that's the first time it's been run. Oh, sorry. Run, is it? Nine, yeah, nine, 95, 95%. I tend to not get too uh, hung up on driver, the driver score modes in trucks. I don't tend to look at them. I found that, well, previous, sometimes it would just like, um, something unfair would happen and it would piss me off, it would screw me over. Like somebody would pull right out in front of me and I'd have to slam the brakes on and the truck would go, eh, eh, it's like, mark me down. And I'm like, Oh, come on, the truck must have known that that was pulling it. I must have been able to see it on the ABS scanners. Um, but, I mean, it, it, it's a useful thing, that. It's a, it's a fun fun thing fun thing to do. You can, um, like you say, you can get into a really kind of smooth um, way, of dri- way of driving the truck where we're using the, the engine brake and using all the, diff- the different modes and things. But it, when you start to get busy and everything like that, you start to get pushed for time, and those things tend to gradually kind of can it go go out, go out the window a bit? But I mean, there is. I mean, with a Scania Super Range, we talk about that. This is a bigger update for Scania than when the next gen cab came in, because when that came in, you were basically putting a cab on top of what was already a pre-engineered chassis and drivetrain. But now you've got it's the other way about. It's a completely new. Uh, set of technology from your engines, your gearboxes, your axles, your emissions control systems there. And I think that'd be, I mean, for listeners, anybody who's interested in uh, trucks, Scania's in general, this is uh, a huge, uh, huge development, but it's one that probably won't be noticed as much as when the cab came on because you can't see it. Exactly. We live in a world where kind of visual image is the kind of predominant opinion former, but the truth is, you're, you're right there, Dougie. In the chassis architecture, the drive line, there's more changes there than you've had for many, many years. And also, the other thing, going back to talk about telemetry and, and what have you, I still feel that all manufacturers' vehicle telemetry is very, it's very limited because the measure of, that is a measure of how much fuel you've used in your driving style. But the thing that you're not measuring, which in many haulage operations matters most, is the work you do. The work you do is what earns the revenue that pays for the diesel and pays your wages. And we have a situation where sometimes you can have the best possible score but not get locked up. And in a transport operation, the people who get the traffic office out of trouble when there's a problem are the ones who they'll know they can ring up and say, can you get in there before they close at five or whatever? And that mm. might be then the death of that particular driver's scores, but he mm. saved the day. But when they look at the, they look at the raw data after the event, all of a sudden he's the one who's like being castigated. So there's an element of it that can make the 
the job of driving a little bit thankless at times. I think maybe there's a balance, isn't there? Mm. The yeah. keys over your working week, you yeah. have good days where you're flat out, you're on that 15 hour day, yeah. you're on a 10 hour drive, and then you're going to have your easier days. And it's the balance. Well, if, if you, you look week, at surely, that's where If, that's if you look at telemetry that's used in construction equipment, agricultural equipment, and that, it measures output, be it with a combine harvester or a forage harvester, with an excavator, or, and, and it's about the amount of muck moved or the amount of grass cut and processed. We need to develop more sophisticated systems that can measure that can measure productivity. It would work well with a tipper, if you think about it. Yeah, we there are various systems in fleet management systems that talk about per ton kilometre yeah. um, and start to look at a measurement on work that way. And I think. To pick up on the point earlier about the nostalgic view of driving and a little bit to do with the nostalgic view of, of how we measure things. Yes. And I think a lot of the telematics that exists on vehicles allows us now to make really good decisions about development and it allows us to make really good decisions about how we push vehicles forward or what trends we see with particular operators. I'm not necessarily certain or completely subscribed to the view that we use this as a mechanism, it should be a mechanism to understand what drivers are doing and trends over time, but finite point measurements yeah. isn't, isn't necessarily where it should be. What it should be is more about understanding what that trend looks like and are we moving in the right direction. The operator sees the benefit in fuel consumption and things like that. And then to touch on the point about um, super, and you're absolutely right, Dougie, the next generation cabs or a complete change in the cab and chassis changes were limited to some tweaks around the engine and the, nominally the forward moving position of the axle, whereas this one now becomes massively significant to us. The, the new engine, the double overhead cam engine, which sees us hitting this sort of 50% uh, thermal efficiency on the engine which is is huge from an operator uh, reliability and an operator sweating the asset for everything we can out of uh, out of the fuel now but then harmonizing that with the gearbox and new final axle gears is a massive step forward to allow us to now really push that efficiency to the next stage from a whether it's diesel or HVO or whatever fuel you're running on mm -hmm. I think as well You've got to be, any data has got to be read in its right context. And the great danger is when you look at the raw data and you just make straightforward graph comparisons. Mm. And you know, you imagine a big distribution operation, you may have 100 vehicles and they might, some might be going in every direction. You need like some qualification of the parameters that you measure the daily, the daily achievement <coughs> by. Otherwise, it's just like the guy who goes from here to Peterborough is having an easier time than the bloke who goes in the big district. So, Steve, you get bogged down with his MPG at the end of the week? It depends on the operator, I suppose. Yeah. As an operator, if you've got 10 trucks and they're all doing different things, you need to be able to analyse what each guy is doing on, the, on their own merits, you know? Uh, I'd say simpler than that, actually. If you've got an own account operation, it's the amount of fuel you've used in relation to the whatever the vehicle has done that day. If you're a high reward haulier, it is the amount of fuel you've used in relation to how much money that truck has earned. Because that's how you pay for the diesel. And yeah. it's as simple as that, basically. I think it's important to point out as well, you know, we have spoken a lot here about driver performance. Yes. We've spoken about rating the, rating the driver, we've spoken about fuel efficiency. And I think it's really, really important to point out that this vehicle will allow a, a driver to go out and perform well without even yeah. touching a single switch. 
and I think it's also really really important that you know we don't spook the drivers off you know we don't we don't scare them you know because mm-hmm. it, it, unfortunately it's dead easy the driver becomes a sort of soft target within this because that is the only noticeable part of improvement when the vehicle itself is right. is, a, is a very very capable piece of equipment you've got to be careful not to turn a system into a kind of the living embodiment of the old joke that rich the daily staff beatings will continue until morale improves and <laughs> you've got a scenario where I go back to the guy who's so you know he's got them out of like, out of out of a problem and scouted around and got the got the collection done the delivery done and then after the event when they're looking at the raw data he's the one who's being told he's not very good well it's not exactly in, encouraging people to try is it he was the hero on the day yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah. I think it's also really again we've got to recognise you know we, we again we talk about driver performance but some drivers extremely safe extremely conscientious but they just want to do a day's work. They want to do a day's work for a day, fair day's pay, and some of the stuff that's on the the vehicle, they might be half interested in. They just want to do a job and go. And you've got the other end of the scale where some of these drivers are really into it and want to know every nut and bolt, every switch. And I think you've got to recognise those. You know, the, the drivers are there, say safe, conscientious, but just just want to do a day's job in as easy environment as possibly can. But this is the idea of days like this, mm. where we can bring you guys in, and you commented before, Dougie, about us. Uh, trying to reach out to you guys a little bit more, give mm-hmm. you a bit more steering wheel time. And we've developed vehicles around drivers for years. You know, it's part of the sort of brand structure that we mm-hmm. want. We're a driver's vehicle. Yeah. We want we want asses on seats. We want people to experience stuff. And if we can engage with the driver at the driver level, the fuel mm-hmm. consumption and the other things look after themselves. Yeah, you, you get that that buy-in. <laughs> If someone's at one with a vehicle, if someone likes a piece of equipment, if, it, if a, a piece of not just a truck, be it anything, if if they enjoy using it, got half the battle, isn't it really? Mm. Because they've got to want to kind of drive it. And where the Scandinavian manufacturers had such an advantage 50 years ago is that they, probably because of the nature of the situation of Sweden as a country and the Scandinavian countries, You've got an inclement climate, you've got big countries, you've got not many people, so that means that people, you have to encourage people to want to do the jobs that other people won't do. Which means not just trucks, but construction equipment and what have you, farm tractors, they've got to be comfortable in the things that people want to use. So when that came to the UK, that's where the traditional British manufacturers were odds because the labour was plentiful, people you could always find drivers etc etc and vehicles didn't have to worry about comfort and you know relative power to weight ratios and that and, and we've what's happened in the modern world we've got ourselves to a little bit of the situation where we were in they were in sweden 50 or 60 years ago not enough people want to do it so you have to provide people with the right equipment to do the job empower them to use it properly and that's why we're seeing a rise, generally speaking, the specification of fleet vehicles, aren't we? Because it's getting harder to find people mm-hmm. to want to do the damn job. How are we doing? Well, in terms of the spec, I mean, I, the, spec uh, the vehicles, the last couple I've had have been really well specced. Others had the yeah. 530S, which was actually a Kel truck vehicle, but it was still, it was um, leather interior, coffee maker, microwave, and things. But the one that was interesting was. When you gave me the R540 and you said, oh, it's a bit fleet spec. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, well, I'm like, what am I getting here? Get in it. It's got a microwave in it. You know, that's, you know, that's almost becoming a standard for fleets, especially since 
the coronavirus pandemic and everything was shut down and it became more important for drivers to be self-sufficient and it makes a hell of a difference if you've got a microwave in a truck for a week as opposed if you don't have one now um, well, even vehicles like that are that uh, 460R mm. it would be some people would use it for distance work other people would use it for medium distance work or maybe double shift operation it's got a reasonable level of specification it makes people warm to it better. Mm. There will always be people who will abuse it and treat it, you know, like the way it should be. But, but like you just driving that, that 460, I say that little 460, it's a fairly stupid thing to say. But it's a fine vehicle, it'll go and do anything you want mm. to. If you have to go to Italy with it, it's, it'll do the job. It's, you know, let's not, let's not fool ourselves. You don't need a stonking great 16 litre V8 to do every job in the country. Do you? Well, that little 460's got as much torque as its predecessor in 500 horsepower. Yeah, yeah. yeah. two and a half thousand newton metres of torque. And, yes. and then the best thing you could do with a lot of those trucks, the 420, 460 ones, is take the badge off them. So people don't know what's in it. What's in it is psychological thing there. The good, I mean, the good thing as well that I found about Scania's with the next generation trucks is, as think trucks have become increasingly more complex. The Scania's remain the core of what you need to do has always remained simple. So anybody can get into it, and the cruise control will work straight off the steering wheel. That will go, and you've got your engine brake, the compression release brake. You've got that there. You've got your essentials right in front of you, so anybody can go and use it. Some man, other manufacturers' trucks, it's nowhere near as straightforward as that. There's buttons hidden on the back of steering wheels. There's things hidden <coughs> in the digital menus. And it's important as trucks get increasingly more complicated in terms of the technology available to the driver and what they do that it's accessible and that it's simple and you know we've got buttons that you know we know where you can just go and click the button to go dump the air out the dash and you can go and get your diff lock in when when you need it and uh, that's essential to keep that going in the face of sort of increasing levels of technology you look at cars now and they've got gigantic screens in the middle of them and i don't think that's the way that you want to be going with a truck no, I, I, I think you still need an element of conventional control system in the truck, so it becomes intuitive, it's there for you. Mm -hmm. People of all ages, all generations, and what have you. And if you can make most of the functions work by pressing one button, not three, people will use that for you, they'll use that function. And uh, some, some trucks, I mean, it's, it's quite interesting. If you look at, if you look at uh, German vehicles, German vehicles quite often had like a a slightly pedantic control system but I think it kind of mirrors the kind of the national characteristics and like the MANTGX they must have been speaking to Scania a bit now because the latest one is a lot more like a, a European Scandinavian vehicle in its control system it's a lot less in the past you'd have to press two buttons to do the job of one well I think, I think you get to this this word again on balance that screen systems and and kind of touchscreen displays give us the ability to change what a driver's presented with. So you get this ability to prioritise different things at different states within his day. But I don't think, coming back to that point about balance, there are certain functions we want to click click on. You want to feel mm. a button exactly. clunk and click, or you want to feel you that's gone in and you want that positive you engagement. Wouldn't to, you wouldn't want to engage a diff lock with the touchscreen, would you? No, and that, that kind of 
that balance between the two is where that physical ergonomics comes into it to say how do I how do I engage with it and what's really important to get that kind of feedback from and what else do I want as this kind of floating changing I think it will change and it will evolve and mm. we'll certainly have more things to talk about on mm. the screen mm. so we've got to have more stuff there but again balance finding yes. that balance on what's important and what's not if you have too many innovations you run the risk of throwing away the good with the not so good as well because if you've made a positive decision to make your control system something completely unconventional there are people who will adopt it and take it up straight away there'll be other people who are instantly wary of it because there's nothing familiar so you've got to find a middle course haven't you? but what we find when we go out with demonstration the reality with the, with the scan here is it's so familiar from three series to where we are now it's people just know it and everything's where it should be so a driver that's never driven a scanner can pretty much get in it and go okay let's go yeah. I mean we've given you that 540 <coughs> it's a good place to be everything's where you think it is do you know or where you want it to be that's the bonus we have and with super 13 litre it's not always about the 16 litre as you said yeah. Bob and the VAs we're hoping that from a driver's point of view this is they're going to embrace super as their brand because not everybody's lucky enough to have a 16 litre V8. It's one of these things as well, where it's one of the problems you have at the moment with long lead times and what have you, because we live in a world where people see stuff in social media and they see it in the press, and we've gotten very used to having it straight away, haven't we? And now we've got this kind of worldwide situation where, you know, product uh, component shortages and what have you, and that is length of lead times, and it's maintaining that anticipation of something new isn't it in the eyes of the the drivers the operators and, and, and everyone and it's it's very important that people realize like you said Dougie the sheer scale of the change with this it's not just a development of a 13 litre engine it's a brand new 13 litre engine it's quite a radical engine as well yeah. and some changes to the chassis as well yeah, exactly. modularity in the chassis to allow us to package things differently means that we can prioritise body stuff and loading stuff and those kind of things as well. But going back to your point before on the on how you engage with drivers, that ergonomics piece, that you find stuff intuitively, have more time to concentrate on the road, all contributes to that relaxed driving style, mm. to that not rushed, that quite mm. chilled out driving style that, that yields the better fuel consumption, the more rested driver, the, the better work environment. Yeah, I mean, if a driver's enjoying his work and he's enjoying, the, he likes the truck that he's driving, he's more likely to get a good result out of it and he's more likely to, you know, be a positive influence across the job and the company where he goes to when he's out visiting customers and things. You know, sometimes depending on your attitude, it can make all the difference between you getting tipped quickly and being left for two hours and it spreads right out across everything that you do. It goes back to what I said about 50 years ago, mm. you know, where the, uh, the traditional British truck was, how can I put it, durable, it would last, lacking in driver comfort, people who would make the effort that you'd engage with it and you'd want to master it, but no, no piece of capital equipment should make young people into old people before their time. And a lot of people, if I think back in my generation, people half a generation before me, by the time they got to be 55, they were old. 
and a lot of it was because of the way the job was. And sometimes when people romance about it on social media, it gets a little bit frustrating because they don't know what they're talking about. Mm. And you, know, you, you think of sciatica, rheumatism, everything that makes life really unpleasant, you know? Like, and, and driving trucks with no effective heating in them. And I mean, I, I'm not kind of, you know, so talking of 40 odd years of experience and driving trucks up the road where there is no apparent heat in the cab at all. It's little wonder that it didn't do people any good, was it really? And if you go back to that cell time, they got into a little F86 Volvo or they got into a 110 Scania. And once they'd experienced that element of comfort and that, there was no going back. There was no going back. And, and it's interesting how, how that, people often say, we've had this conversation as well, people say, why did the British motor industry fail? Because it failed to listen. And what happened is the market decided and more people decided that they didn't want to buy them. And that's what happens in life. And when that happens, there's nothing you can do as a manufacturer. Once you fall, you fall behind, you can't catch up again. And we're straying a little bit off the path, but that's, you know, we're looking at 50 years plus of the sort of Scandinavian element in the British transport. And it's an interesting point to look back upon. You know? But we hold that nostalgic view and compare it with today. And all development happens for a reason. You know, sure. Whether that's about driving uh, emission standards or fuel economy or driver comfort, all that development happens to answer a question that's posed by somebody or improves a working mm. environment in one way or another. Yeah, well, things are moving, are moving on at a hell of a rate. I was speaking, I think it was Paul uh, O'Callaghan, who does a lot of contributions sure, yeah, to the yeah. podcast. And I think he was out driving... It was like a previous generation, like R-Cab, Scania, Tag Axle, which isn't an old truck by any sort of means, but, it's, you know, but like the, the bounciness of it, you know, the ride quality of it, and a completely different ballgame to the, the new generation, and you would still look at it as being on, that's only a, a, a tiny fraction of the amount of time. The, the, the pace at which things are evolving is incredible, and I think... If we go and look at you know the the two major parts of the super range, which then for a lot is engine and gearbox, because uh, they're both completely new, and it's in, interesting that the super has been used. You know, uh, it's to, you know it'll appeal to drivers and give them sort of a bit of a pride and a bit, a bit of excitement because it's good to think you know I've got a truck that you know pulls well and and, and goes well, and the you know the tech the technology involved it involved in that. Um, you know, it's. I think the modern diesel engine is just is such an enormous, fantastic triumph of engineering that it needs to be celebrated much more than it is because fossil fuels are kind of demonised and truck manufacturers can't really shout about how brilliant their engine is as much as they would like to do. You know, we can run them in HVO uh, and we, they can do so, so many... I mean, if you look at the economy and the performance of a new diesel engine, it's, it's an incredible achievement to where they were just a few years ago. We've yeah. all had this conversation numerous times, but in the, in the mainstream media, the demonization of diesel is, a, is bordering on criminal. A modern diesel engine, a Euro 6 diesel engine, and that new 13 litre out there, we're bordering on the edge of Euro 7. There's a, a graph that never gets seen in the mainstream media, and it's the difference between a Euro 1 engine in 1991 and a modern-day engine. And if you said that the emissions from a Euro 1 are represented <coughs> by a sheet of A4 paper, you ask people to guess where we are at Euro 6 proportionately, it's smaller than postage stamp. And that is a phenomenal engineering achievement when you factor in fuel consumption, reliability, power, torque. Phil, we've had this conversation. 
we all love the nostalgia of the two series and the three series and the V8 and what have you, but they wouldn't pull the gearing that modern engines are coping with. They wouldn't run at 1,000 RPM in top gear at 44 ton. No, absolutely not. You'd be rattling the main bearings out of it. Yeah. The development of the modern engine is huge. Yeah. And, you know, as a company, Scania, we are invested in this kind of driving the shift message and, and where we're going from an alternative fuel technology and how we want to develop uh, both our electrified vehicles and everything else going forwards. But in many applications, the internal combustion engine is still the most efficient yeah. way to move goods from A to B, depending on what those operations actually are. So. Whilst it's really important we develop what the future looks like around BEV technology and around that electrification point, it's also really important that we don't that we don't ignore the internal combustion engine in the short term because it will take some time for products to mature and infrastructure to mature to make those propositions viable. So we need to be as efficient as we can in this short term. Definitely, mm -hmm. and, and also, I, I think if you look at the, uh, again, you, you, you look backwards sometimes to look forward, and it's a mantra you hear quite often that modern vehicles are played with electronic issues. And they are issues, and they are you know, random faults in vehicles regardless of make. But across the board, realistically, they're not, it's not quite, as people would have you believe. A lot of it is self-imposed, where people have got a fault, be it an electrical fault, even have Susie problems and that, and they're not attended to. And it becomes a recurring, nagging, warning light, etc. I've seen it, where somebody's got a new truck in, and there's a warning light up on it, and they're like, oh, bloody phantom warning lights. And it's like, yeah. I had that with, um, what was it? Oh, it was a Stralis. It had automatic, it had um, air monitoring on the tires, like pressure monitoring. Well, that bloody thing keeps telling us that tire's going down. The tire was going down. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, just stupid warning lights on the dash, and it was telling you something. Yeah, and, and you know, yes, the control systems are are at times maybe a little bit over complex, but I think some manufacturers have paid a bit of a penalty because their vehicles have been adapted to be fully uh, digitalized, and the systems haven't maybe caught up. But now. Nearly all the manufacturers are looking at fairly new product ranges, and I think you'll see less issues. But then again, if someone's going to go and wire a microwave in and not do it properly, you know, all that sort of stuff, it's, it's sometimes, you know, you'll put some cheap aftermarket uh, additional outline marker lights or something. You're asking for trouble. Well, you, uh, well if you look at, I mean, the, the problems that from the outset, with, to begin with, with EGR, with AdBlue, the start of Euro 5, and those things are a thing, thing of the past now. Same like how crude early automatic gearboxes were as well. It's all, everything's like moved on now. So the most impressive thing for me that's come in with Euro 6 uh, are the gearboxes and the, the, the torque spread of the engines. To be able to get like 900 RPM and just pull away cleanly, whereas in the previous generation of trucks, the cab would be trying to jump off its mountings because it, they wouldn't be able to do something like that. And the scan, this new Scania gearbox, I mean, when I was out in the 540, that was a previous generation box, which is good. It doesn't, you know, you think there's nothing wrong with that at all. You know, how would you improve it? But with the new one now, it's just so lightning fast the way it makes the changes. And it's like, when you're going up hills, it can knock down gears and it doesn't lose you any speed at all. And there's been an improvement in the way that the, th the throttle control as well, because even if you're trying to like reverse up 
to yeah. get into places are over manhole covers or curbs the things that you encounter in real life previous I'd be like oh, I, could, I wish I had a clutch pedal here and now they've got to the point where it's so clever and it can it, it, the intricacy is just so they're so accurate at what, what they can do that um, f- finally now I'm like you know you really don't I don't really see unless it's an extreme application you really don't need a clutch pedal I know that Scania do do clutch on demand and bless you you still make manual gearbox options which is a wonderful thing but it is without a doubt an emotive argument to go and put one of them in a lorry you know it's something that you would do from the heart not from the head (laughs) I think the numbers are starting to tell their own tale on that in terms of the volumes that we sell with OptiCruise gearboxes versus Mm. anything else now I think Bob will probably argue there's the odd heavy haulage application where where you benefit from a clutch or benefit from some form of, of manual uh, element, but I think the majority of cases now we're... I think you'll probably find with a new gearbox, with a greater ratio spread of lower first and reverse, you'll get less demand or less call for it, because it makes it that a little bit more controllable at very low speed. And as long as you've got the manual facility to hold a gear, just to stop it, you know, where, where you might lose traction or something like that. It's a big... It's a big step. The, yeah. I mean, if we look at um, the old, if you look at the previous gearbox with the VA, where yeah. uh, torque mandated that you went to an overdrive gearbox, the crawler gear in that was something like 13 to 1. Now, with this gearbox, we talk about 20 to 1. Yeah. So the difference is huge. And also with reverse as well, because it has yeah. an impact on your reverse ratio. That's where you're, you're, you're trying to factor in lots of different mm-hmm. considerations when you're reversing, particularly with a big load, a steer axle trailer, you're trying to make it move, aren't you? And it's a completely different technical solution. Yeah. Reverse used to be done through an idler off the base shaft, whereas now reverse is driven through the planetary gear at the yeah, back. By locking the planetary So you don't actually see... That, that element where the idler tries to crawl around the... It's not reciprocation motion. Yeah. As, as the, the new super range comes out, starts hitting the road and getting into fleets, I think it's going to... Um, it's going to do... do um, it's going to do well. I think drivers are going to take to it. There are, there are a few kind of hot takes in social media saying, why are you resurrecting something from, from the past? and all that I was like well you say it's from the past but people have been sticking that badge to trucks mm-hmm. ever since when you get people put on things all the time fest, yeah. every truck's got a super exactly. badge on it hasn't it every yeah. badge and it partly plays to what we've been talking about here today that mm-hmm. you know, part of our development mm-hmm. part of our understanding about where we're going is about not forgetting where you've been mm-hmm. and that that understand tie into mm-hmm. what to the values mm-hmm. around the driving experience yeah. and everything that we had that, that we oh, started this, this sort of you have scan to your experience with is mm. what's important you, now. You have to know where you started from, otherwise yeah. you don't know where you've you, you say, if you, like you say, I mean, you've always had guys who have taken immense pride in having a V8, you know, with a jacket and hat and everything. It's a lifestyle, you know. And it's good, for, I mean, the super thing broadens that out enormously for people, and it's about getting drivers to take pride in the vehicle. Uh, and, you know, if, if people like the truck they're driving, they're more likely to get something, get a good result out of it. I mean, I'd always call it. Um, I, I will. I will always um, fight the corner for the for the the Iveco Stralis, which is a truck that's by no means perfect, but always it was the whipping boy in social media for so long, just because you had to have one, you know. Um, but I always thought it was a really 
a really competent truck, but what you would find was drivers would come in and they're like, I don't like that, so they'd be rough with it. They would slam the door on it, they would snap bits of plastic off on it and just generally not drive it nicely because they were trying to make a point. So it is important that you get, you know, you get people to buy into the, the if, products and things, you know? If you look across every manufacturer's product range, if you look at not just the trucks, it's so many aspects of modern life, we tend to underestimate the effect of computers, not just in vehicle control systems, but every part of the process, in the design process, in the manufacturing process, in the component manufacturing, even in the business of steel making and other raw materials, because it brings consistency, and you have greater consistency of components, greater consistency of assembly quality, greater consistency of products. In the past, when we, when we lived in an analog world, you'd have vehicles where machine tools just happened to be at their optimum when the machining was done, and you'd have the classic engine that went better than the other one, wouldn't you? It'd be great. Is that yeah. better assembly? Now you have you, you have a greater consistency across the board in what? so many aspects I mean, of modern life. I mean, that's that's so recent as well. I remember that Drummonds are doing they had three, like a batch of three, five, ten manual XFs and. And not one of them went the same as the other one. There was one that was probably maybe 480 horsepower. Yeah. One that was 510. There was one that was maybe like 5 foot. Just total difference, all fully loaded. One would be away in front of the others due to the sort of individual tolerances with the trucks. And it's only, I mean, you say like now with your new twin cam engine, I've the, the tolerances and the engineering are just so minuscule to get things you know the, the way that fuel's injected now the way it's like atomized it's all done to the, you know how many decimal points down, down, down do you go it's down to the micron and sometimes mm. it sometimes is. three injections per uh, per um, mm. cycle yeah. so and then we talk about what else is going on post mm. um, all of that down downstream in the exhaust so the, the but it's all done so as the point I come back to on this when we sort of go back to the nostalgic view, it's all done to answer a question. It's mm-hmm. all done to answer an emission and an efficiency question, and the drive for efficiency comes from being accurate, and being accurate every time, and being accurate at 1,500 revs a it, minute. It actually also transfers to the way you drive the vehicle, because the vehicle rewards you the more accurate you are in your driving. Absolutely. And, and what you're doing is you're trying to replicate the or the accuracy of the technology, aren't you? Well, the throttle, the higher power trucks, so when you say higher power, they're in like 500 upwards. If you're gentle on the throttle, if you feed it in gradually, the thing will go better. As opposed to if you just go and stick your foot in the floor, then you're giving it the traction control issues, things to work out, and I'll actually pull the the power and the torque out to get out. You know this, Dougie, from driving... 770 or 750 or whatever the more relaxed you are the more measured you are you look at the traffic in front of you because a 44 ton you're not really giving the thing enough to do to make it really like come to life and the more measured you are in the power delivery and the control and the way you approach junctions and roundabouts you'll see gaps they open up in front of you and, and you're rather than driving to the line and breaking at the last minute just looking and watching and it comes back to to where I was saying 50 years ago with 180 brake horsepower, you were trying to maintain that progress because you didn't have much, much, much scope for keeping it going. <coughs> and all you're doing is now you're using that technology, you're using that power and torque in a sparing way, but only using it when you really need it. And sometimes people they overdrive the thing, and really all they're doing is like completely and utterly missing the point. 
Mm. And as you know, I was down in a low loader driver yesterday, a good friend of mine with a new 770, and he was on his way up out of Cornwall with a Caterpillar 992 loading shovel, it's about 110, 105 tonnes, so he'd be a nearly 158 tonne. There's a big hill on the A30, they call Hamburger Hill, coming up towards, um, coming up towards uh, Victoria. And from a standing start at the bottom, it went up there in fourth gear. I know people tell you that modern engines haven't got power in the power truck that they say on the badge. I think that proves otherwise. Well, some of them do. Some of them do. Previously, you know, not Scania, I would say, but some manufacturers that you know have been the badge on the door isn't, you know, it's not know. not what it's putting out <laughs> the wheels. I don't know, Dougie. If you go back and then when you put really put something to work with a lot of weight behind it, the trucks that people get dewy eyed about, they be first or second all the way up that hill. It is curious to read back at the torque outputs of older engines to see just how minuscule they are. You know, you look back, it's like. 900, 900 newton meters of torque for engines that they you're like it's just it's crazy to, I, I had a car 1300 rpm yeah not at 900 rpm which is where we yeah, I, mean, is it, I mean you can make an argument now that the torque figure is more important than the horsepower figure that's the one that's more it, here's something for you interesting 10, 10 12 years ago when volvo had 16 liter at 660 14 years ago i got john coleman to calculate it for me and I started on F eighty sixes with my dad in the seventies. There's more there's more torque in the sixteen litre starter motor than there is in the F eighty six engine. See them all? So what's I mean you've been uh, you've been doing you drive quite a lot for Broughton Transport you know, I've also spent a week with yes because I mean you, you've been out you've been fortunate enough you've driven one of the new uh, range of Scania's which was the 590 yes. V8 I believe because there's not too many of them not too many of them going, out, going about um, what's your I mean obviously we're very fortunate to be sitting here with the guys from Scania at the moment you know uh, and getting the opportunity to get a date in the diary to get uh, one or two of these trucks out to be honest I would just be like if I could get away from my desk enough I would just line them all up you know send me them one week after the other and I'll just keep keep going with them I'd really get my own license if I was going to go and do that you know <laughs> have none of my own trucks <laughs> it's uh, to answer your question yeah I drove up 590 a couple of times mm. and obviously with the new GCM three gearbox in it and that and again very very relaxed cruising with the overdrive top mm -hmm. gear um 590 and what is it 3000 near enough newton meters 3300 i think on that <sighs> it's got all the power and torque you need at 44 ton and more uh, driven sensibly yes good on fuel i mean i would say that's probably the sweet spot for the v8 for general use We've seen a big 590. Seen yeah. a big demand up in the 660 at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people choosing that that particular route. It depends on what you're doing, where you're going. Mm -hmm. and the big difference with the V over the straight six is in that in that point where you're coming up through the rev range up to that 900 revs mm -hmm. with eight cylinders instead of six. The torque delivery mm -hmm. is is much quicker before yeah. you get to mm -hmm. full torque. So if you're if you're mm -hmm. Topography challenged, or well, a lot of the guys that I speak to up That's in the north of Scotland, and then, I mean, they, I mean, they want, they specifically want V8s because 
of the residual values because it's such a cast iron asset guaranteed, which they're not necessarily convinced about yet. With the six, even the higher power six cylinder, the five forty's not been about that long. And the, um, so you've got that, but but it's also um, for driver retention as well. You know, it's uh, something that they're pride in it. Uh, a, lot, a lot of pride in it as well. But interesting to see um, what sort what sort of position the five sixty super adopts in the market. I'm I'm really quite curious to go and find out how the how the sort of the humble four sixty gets on. I'd be quite curious with that with two and a half thousand meters of torque in it. I think you could see some surprising results of that in terms of. Um, uh, performance and fuel economy. Yeah, I think you know. For a long while, we've developed vehicles around this philosophy of low rev, high torque, mm-hmm. which sometimes sees us a little bit at odds with other manufacturers in terms of slightly lower power ratings. But if you compare us on torque, mm-hmm. it becomes yeah. slightly different, which becomes part of that conversation and that argument. But this going back to this lazy driving style about mm. being able to drive at a low rev, mm. uh, bucketfuls of torque to react to it. And I think you're right. I think the 460 yeah. will be a great animal for that. I think at times mm. we could use the 420 in a lot of mm. UK haulage where we don't see particularly, maybe not in Scotland, but particularly yeah. in in, um, in sort of slightly no, further south where, we, where the topography isn't mm. as aggressive. Mm. We're seeing high torque from that engine as well. Could really be mm. be an opportunity to go down. Whether whether people that, are that, into that or that, that's good. the four the four twenty is going to be an absolutely stonking eight wheeler engine. Because <laughs> uh, I was I spent I spent a week uh, with one of Archie Johnsons. I drove his G one of his G four ten XTs. That was a, that was a hell of a machine. That you know just um, at thirty two tons, you really don't need anything more than that. And there were the other guys out there with four fifty and five hundreds. And the eight wheelers as well, but the, the, the 410 was just you know, I feel like that'd be the sweet spot for it. And the 420 uh, would take that, would take that on further. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be really interesting and exciting times. It's good because so, we're spoiled with the amount of trucks that are coming online across all different manufacturers with technology. The, the only difficult thing is getting hold of them and the wait for the, wait for them to come in. It's just. Um, Everybody, everybody's excited when their um, new trucks are, are, are arriving. I need to get out and get to Truck Fest Peterborough and get a load of phone numbers and things to get new trucks photographed and everything because I'm running a bit short on, on material. Heard it here first. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, it'll be interesting with the 460 because 2,400 newton metres of torque over a reasonable rev range, a good rev range, even at 44 tonne, it's quite comfortable at 44. Anything a little bit below it, it it's just... It's that step between in the range, if you imagine the range change, between high and low, isn't it? Where it'll maintain it, that, that, that slightly higher gear at the junction or whatever, where you just keep rolling. Yeah, bear in mind, you see a slightly different, you see a different spread of gears with that, yes. with the new gearbox uh, as well, which changes that dynamic a little bit uh, as well. I've noticed for the new gearbox as well, it's more linear as it goes up through the gears. Yeah. It's keeping the revs, in a, it's like it's keeping the revs in a more stable rev band, whereas before with the old gearbox, particularly when it went, if you imagine, across the range change. You yeah, there's a bit of a drop of rev. You saw shorter steps yeah. in the old gearbox where you were choked with where the, the change in engine speed was felt a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas now in this new gearbox without synchros as well, the speed of the yeah. change means you could be so much more balanced. Yeah, it's light and quick. There's like a consistency to it as as well. You know, like on older gearboxes, when you'd go, you could run between traffic lights 
on the same distance between each other and a lot of it like every single time you went it would take a different selection of gears going up you're like oh we'll have a block shift here we'll take them all we'll take them all this time uh, a lot of that is relationship on what throttle pin. Mm. yeah you know that clear signal on what you yeah. want the vehicle yeah. to do as to whether it's being yeah, more it, progressive in the way that it goes or whether it's being a little bit more reserved and also the more linear you are with your inputs the better the truck responds doesn't it it's clear signals the, the thing is well because tr- you would get guys complaining but, uh, that someday we, the, the truck would go to the weekend and then that would be the software ruined on it because whoever's got it has driven it with their foot welded to the floor the whole time so now when they get back into it it won't change gear because it's like it's been corrupted by uh, somebody altering the software I don't know how much truth there was in that if you could do that that quickly no not really uh, but the vehicle would learn parameters without mm. a shadow of a doubt the, the vehicle learns more things on engine um on engine philosophy than it does on gear philosophy. Mm. Gear philosophy is more driven around mm. your relationship mm. with the vehicle and particularly your relationship with the throttle pedal. Mm. How, how quickly you go into it, but that strategy adapts pretty quickly. Mm. So if you're yeah. gonna drive it with your foot to the floor, you'll get yeah. some performance and some reaction from it. But if uh, the next guy mm. drives it quite gently, uh, it'll change that strategy. See the other guys out there, foot to the floor, Everywhere, don't use things, you know. Is it the switching the ABS off when that's a stormer for, for me? Like, you know, I would say to anybody who's listening, don't do that because if you're in an accident and it's found out that you have switched it off uh, and you know, you, you can be in big trouble. It came about because very early ABS systems would have a lot of false alarms on it, but now the systems are just amazing how good they are. I'm going to mention your competitor here, but I was in the Volvo Tipper last week and a couple of the times that ABS system anticipated something in the distance uh, before I it, it, well I had noticed it and I was ready to act but it was so good uh, there was like a bus had pulled out like quarter of a mile up the road and it just flashed up to say I've noticed this you know there's a potential issue and it's, you would think now with modern trucks now you'd actually be having to go some effort to actually ram into something when you see accidents on the motorway now and I always try to say how new is the truck that's been involved with it because they're so safe now with that technology being there to prevent collisions like that. Well, I, I told you about driving that new DAF the other day, didn't I? And of course, DAF reputation in the past, the older models as well, for electronic issues and false flags with forward collision sensors. And to be fair, that new NG Plus, is, XP Plus mm-hmm. rather, is, is, is superb in that. It's, it's the equivalent of anything else, which you'd expect it should be, realistically. But it shows that when you're able to start with a fresh sheet of paper in your design process and that fresh screen, you can then you can then create a vehicle that is more in harmony and more in keeping with modern traffic conditions, can't you? Mm-hmm. But, I, but I think again these are I mean they're termed as advanced driver assistance systems. They are specifically there to assist the driver. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah. we're not nobody's trying that we're, we're trying to help. Mm. Yeah, everything we do to be a little bit more progressive mm. in how you can engage with mm. the vehicle mm. so that they're there as assistance systems use them yeah. so, I would like to go and potentially go and put something side by side and show like, to show you're not even something old just say like an old R series an 06 plate manual gearbox and put it up against a brand new one and compare the, the, the inputs and what you're doing and the involvement with the truck and you'll probably find that you could arguably be doing more things to influence what that truck is doing in the new one than the old one. Because in the old one, you're changing gears and you're using the brake pedal and the retarder. 
and that's you know that that's that's it and you've got a lot more to there's potentially a lot more you could do with the computer systems in the new truck I think as well I mean a bit of a venerable maybe maybe you know, people sort of say to me from time to time what's the biggest best the greatest development I've seen in the last 30-40 years most power talk comfort etc etc is all very relevant CBS disc brakes it's the ability to stop a truck if you've ever driven a vehicle fully loaded and you know at times you're in a situation they won't stop that is a feeling that like you can't replicate you know and the fact of this EBS the laws of physics they have a limit but you can scrub off 10 or 15 miles an hour when the traffic goes through like a phase on the motorway just in a second you try that with, with, with drum brakes you try that with just conventional ordinary drum brakes with a truck from like mid 90s or something and you've got that 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 realization that it isn't going to slow down mm. and that that is phenomenal the fact that you can take 44 tons and you can bring it to a standstill mm. in a lot less distance when you consider the amount of traffic on the road you look here and the people getting in their cars around here they're going down the road and they're not really paying enough attention are they? they come to a junction or whatever sure. and, and it's that it's that ability and that is phenomenal and that's a that is an incredible engineering achievement for the entire motor industry. The, the amount of um, manoeuvres truck drivers do every single day, the things that they do to react to cars that have put themselves into dangerous positions, you know, the amount of accidents that are avoided and near misses that are even avoided by the actions of drivers every single day that don't, you know, nobody knows about anything like that really unless you're out there driving yourselves because, you know, it got worse with lockdown and things as well. I swear that people literally forgot how to drive. They were off the road for that long, sitting at home, that they lost the ability to drive their cars. <laughs> I think we have a problem in the modern world where some people struggle to deal with reality. They spend so much time on screens and devices and they almost need to be reminded there isn't a reset button in real life. You can see it in the truck. When you're sitting in a truck at traffic lights, oh, I'm at the traffic lights, I'm at red for 10 seconds, and they're on WhatsApp or something, you can see them in the car. So I need to go and, like, I can't just sit here for a few seconds to go and do some. So there's more, there's a lot more. Going back to, like, the old days in driving as well, a driver on modern roads and traffic today has got so much more to contend with and deal with. If you got, you know, your tough old lorry driver from, like, the 1960s, bless him, who, you know, ended up with sciatica and being deaf and... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, having to deal with all those things and he could rope and sheet and he could change wheels at the side of the road and hub bearings and all that but if you were to go and throw them into modern traffic and modern roads and everything they would be like absolutely astonished they'd be dealing with a completely different if you, look, game, if you look at Milton Keynes perfect example it's developed over the last 40 45 years and obviously it's the city of a million roundabouts and every roundabout you come to nowadays there's traffic was crossing it, yep, there's a car 25 years ago 50% less 30 years ago probably 70% less that's the difference there's so many cars on the road so many vehicles I think it's what 33, 34 million motor vehicles when I started driving I think it was 9 so we're going to get in each other's way aren't we just 9 9 million
an hour on the podcast now, so I'd like to wrap things up now. What 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 things do you guys have planned over over the summer with Scania in terms of uh, events and things like that? Have you got anything exciting coming up? Are you looking to get along to some of the shows and things like that? Show side, so show side, pretty much. The world has opened up again since COVID, so we are pretty much doing everything and anything. Um, you guys have asked for super, and we're going to deliver without question. You've always asked for different models, and we aim to get them out to you later on in the year. Um, are we talking like when, when are the first supermodels likely to start landing for customers? Is it, that like? You see them through back end of this second quarter. They'll start to come in now. Um, and then building up towards the end of the year as we transition mm. different production plants. Mm. So I really just hope that you know the manufacturing issues across the whole the whole world can get sorted out, and we can get start getting super semiconductors and all these kind of various components from alternative sources and where where we've been where we've been getting them. But you see, it's always exciting now when somebody gets a new truck and everything. It's much more special than it probably was before, before all of this. So you got what you got? You got to Peterborough. Yeah, Peterborough will be there. Uh, Super will be there. We'll take a lot of Super. That'll be the big sort of uh, mm. key takeaway for the. the yeah, events. yeah, that's a big thing that kicks off. Obviously, off, yeah. we've got Expo as well. Yeah. So that's a big event. I think for every manufacturer. Uh, yeah, that's going to be good. That that's our event at Stonely Park. Um, right at the end of uh, June, start of July, there's a driver's day on the Saturday. We're all going to be there, and it's going to be amazing. And you should definitely go to that. And then plug that in there. You sold that enough, Dougie. Do you want to sell it a bit more? Or not? Yeah, do you want to talk? Yeah, going to be there personally. Um, so is Bob. So I'm going to be there. You know, it's going to be. It's going to be great. Around your house and hold you. Yeah, it's going to. Yeah, it's going to be sunny. It's going to be sunny. Well, there's actually it's a, it's a there's a driver's day on the Saturday, but on the on the Thursday and the Friday as well. There are the events running. I mean, it, it's based around all different sides of the industry so you've got you know people looking to buy trucks that are, are there you've got operators and hauliers people you know all different um, sectors as well because it's taken over Tipex and Tankex and also Freight in the City it's all under one one roof so it should be really interesting and there's an opportunity to drive some of the trucks there as well yeah I think some of the manufacturers are doing mm. a ride and drive we've got some mm. static displays we've got yeah loads of things going on there with you guys uh, yeah should be an interesting one and it's the first time so it's a big event really I think yeah, it's cool. a big event mm-hmm. hope the weather's going to be going to be uh, kind to us cool I will, I will look well I will look forward to seeing you that then that's not that far away now in fact it's only about a month away isn't it because we're at the start of April here it's not far made a holiday weekend isn't it yes I think yeah, it will be yeah. not too long well thank <laughs> you very much for your time guys um, I hope uh, everybody's found that an interesting chat, a bit of an insight into drive, uh, the new Scania Super Range, uh, driving and, yeah, uh, trucks in general. Cool, right. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Truck and Driver podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To keep up to date with the latest news, 100% for drivers, visit truckanddriver.co.uk, where you can also subscribe to the print edition of Truck and Driver magazine, which publishes on the last Friday of every month. The Truck and Driver podcast is produced by Sound Rebel. To find out more, please visit soundrebel.co.uk.